I'm glad that you are here. You could be lots of places this morning, but I'm glad that you've chosen to be here. It is good for us to be together. In this space, this is really coming along. Um, we need to thank our renovation team, Jill, Mike, Cole. I know you guys have spent hours, <laughs> and there are still more hours to spend. but we are gonna love this new space. So we are in the season of Lent, and the question is, is why do we give up things for Lent? This is a tradition that we've borrowed from our Catholic brothers and sisters. They've been doing this for hundreds of years, and there's a few reasons why we give up things. Some of them are probably more noble than others. For instance, a less noble reason is to lose a few pounds or to accomplish a few more tasks. Lent isn't a short course on self-improvement every spring, and it's not about putting money in the bank, so to speak, so that we can take the summer off. It's not about proving our piety, our working hard to show God that we're serious about this. Lent is really about pausing. It's slowing down to take a good look at ourselves and our need for God. It's about our sin that help is on the way, that we fit into this bigger story. This giving up something often reminds us that there's a gap between what we are and what we want to be. We can think that we're doing pretty good, but say we give up complaining or sleeping in or evening snacks, and we soon realize how attached we are to those things, what comfort they give us, and for lots of us, what little self-discipline we actually have. But giving up something for Lent, what it does do is that it opens up the possibility of welcoming, of welcoming the Holy Spirit into a deeper part of us and to let the Spirit do the work that only the Spirit can do. I often think of Lent as a season of honesty. We realize our true state. And this is one of the great things about Lent is that we realize who we are, a broken people. We confess and we realize who God is. Someone who can rescue us, and he forgives, and he recreates us. Lent is kind of like opening a window or two to catch a fresh glimpse of God. Maybe even the front door, if we're brave enough, for God to enter, for the fresh breeze of the Spirit to blow through, and it's new life instead of death. There's lots of ways to approach Lent, and this year you'll notice that we as a teaching team have decided to just focus on one spiritual discipline. And just as a side note, but just so you know how things work here at Forest View, there's a teaching team, which is a small group of about eight to ten of us, and we gather every month or so to talk about the sermon series. And we kind of map out what we're going to focus on. Um, so just this past week we had a meeting and we were talking about the summer series. We even talked about what we want to do in the fall. So when we gather in early January. We were speaking about Lent, and we kind of had a choice. We could talk about a whole bunch of practices over Lent, or we could just focus on one, kind of camp on one for about six weeks. So that's what we did, and we chose the discipline of Sabbath. So that's how we got here. If you've got your own thing going on that you think the Spirit is directing you to do, then by all means do that. But sometimes it's helpful for us to do things together, to think about things together and to start practicing them together. So thank you, Nat, for getting us started last week on the Sabbath, thinking about delight and rest. 
And this morning, I want to spend a few minutes, about 30, actually talking about another aspect of Sabbath. And this is Sabbath as a rhythm of life. So time and our relationship with time, what does God have to say about this? Before we go there, I just want to talk about Sabbath and Sunday. What day of the week are we talking about? Is there a difference? Does it matter? So here's a little history. For the Jewish people, the Saturday is their Sabbath, from Friday at sundown to Saturday at sundown. And if you've ever watched the musical Fiddler on the Roof, you get a good picture of Russian Jews celebrating the Sabbath, rushing about, getting ready, lighting candles, saying prayers. There's lots of rules, candles, blessings, bread. This is Jewish Sabbath. And the Jewish people have been celebrating Sabbath for literally thousands of years, all the way back to the Old Testament. In fact, someone once said that as much as the Jewish people have kept the Sabbath, the Sabbath has kept the Jewish people. Even during World War II, what the guards at the concentration camps noticed was that if they could keep the Jews from celebrating the Sabbath, then that was the clincher, that without the Sabbath, the Jewish people would literally lose heart. So that's the Jewish Sabbath. Then Jesus comes along, and people began celebrating Sunday in honor of his resurrection after the crucifixion. So for a while, the Jewish people in first century um, would celebrate both. They would celebrate the, the Jewish Sabbath and then the Lord's Day or Resurrection Sunday as time went on. And for Gentiles and for people who really didn't have a Jewish heritage, Sunday became the primary day of worship in the new Sabbath. And then, in about the year 330, Constantine, the Roman emperor who legalized uh, Christianity and stopped the persecution of Christians, he officially made Sunday the day of worship. So, that's how we end up here. I know for celebrating Sabbath now, <clears throat> different work shifts and whatever can complicate things a bit. But for the most part, when I talk about Sabbath, I'm going to be talking about Sunday. So... Now, now we can get started. Um, let's pray. Spirit of the living God, you are welcome here this morning. May we be present to your presence and teach us and love us as we open our hearts and minds to you. Amen. So time. Time is one of our most precious possessions even the hour we lost last night has probably thrown some of us off. Time is something we try to save. We're careful about how we spend it. We never seem to have enough of it. We don't want to waste it. We're surprised by how quickly time disappears. We wonder where it's all gone. Even Dr. Zeus says, how did it get so late so soon? It's noon before it's, af it's night before it's afternoon. December is here before it's June. My goodness, how the time has flown. How did it get so late so soon? And it seems like time goes by faster as we get older. Remember when we were kids, the space between our birthdays was like eternity. Even waiting for the next season seemed to take forever. And then we grow up, and before we know it, the years are sliding by, and we forget how quickly time goes until we look in the mirror, and then we're a little surprised, and crow's feet, and wrinkles, and gray hair, like, where did this come from? There's also the other side of time, 
when time goes by so slowly and life seems to crawl by, maybe it's a breakup, job loss, depression. Maybe it's waiting for the doctor to call you back about something. And we wish time would go by quickly. We would happily skip to the next stage if we could, but instead we're trapped by time. The days are so long. And we hope, like Dolly Parton says, that there's going to be light in a clear blue morning, but not yet. For right now, we just have to slug through, and time goes by slowly. So time. Does God have anything to say about time? And what's our relationship with time supposed to be like? Do we think about time belonging to God? Is time as a gift from God? And I'd like to suggest this morning that God does have something to say about time and how we spend it. And I think that this Sabbath is part of the rhythm of time that God wants us to live by. So it's interesting to go back to the very beginning of scriptures and realize that God has had something to say about time right from the very beginning. So there's two passages we're going to look at. The first one is the creation story. So Genesis 2, this is the passage Nat read last week. Genesis 2, 1 to 3 says... Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. And by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done, the word of the Lord. So God created space when he made the earth. And at the same time, God created time. And he wanted us to look at both of these as gifts, space and time. And we're thinking about the gift of space, this planet and our little corner of it, and our responsibility to care for that space. Paul Miller, our pastor of outreach here, and a group of you are currently having discussions about this and making plans about how to honor God with the space that we have here and how to live responsibly and honorably as caretakers of God's creation just in our personal lives too. So I won't steal his thunder. He's going to be preaching in a few weeks, and he'll tell us more about that then. And that's part of living the good news of the kingdom right here. So thinking about our building, our land, this is really great. Our space is a gift from God, and we need to take care of it. But what about time? So the other scripture is Exodus 19.20. This is the Old Testament story when the Israelites are wandering through the desert. They're on their way to the promised land. Moses is their leader, and he's preparing to talk with God. So let's take a look at this, starting at Exodus 19.16. This is kind of a chunk, but just hang in. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. And then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain, and God spoke all of these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And then he gives some commands, and then he says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. 
And on it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servants, not your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in it, but he rested on the seventh day. And therefore God blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And he gives some other commands. And then it ends with, when the people saw the thunder and the lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in, spo- in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. But the people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was the word of the Lord. It had been a while since I read that passage, and there's a bit more smoke and lights in there than I had remembered. So here we have God giving the Ten Commandments to the children of Israel. And we're going to have the the full Ten Commandments here. Take a look. Just as a side note, Martin Luther from the Protestant Reformation in the 1500s used to say that Christians should should do this every morning and every night. Say the Lord's Prayer, the Nicene Creed, and the Ten Commandments, just as a regular routine. So these Ten Commandments, they're sometimes described as the most basic guide for moral living. Most people are not really going to disagree with the Ten Commandments. Some will probably pass on the first couple, but most would say that following these laws are good for society. This is the sort of community that they'd like to live in. And lots of us, followers of Jesus, would say that we generally obey the Ten Commandments. Except for keeping the Sabbath. This one is socially acceptable to break or disregard. And yet, maybe we shouldn't. This Sabbath commandment is an interesting one. How does this one even get into the Big Ten? The first few make sense. It's like how how we treat God. And then the rest are about how we treat each other. But this Sabbath day... I mean, does it even really matter how we spend one day of the week? Some biblical scholars say that the Sabbath commandment is the bridge between the two sets of commandments. That the Sabbath, this rest in God, is what actually allows us to do the last set of commandments, the ones about loving our neighbor. And that's an interesting idea. And suddenly the Sabbath becomes an important part of mission and about us being the people of God. But to think that how we spend our time, that one day a week enables us to love our neighbor, that's interesting. So this rhythm of working for six days and taking a day off must be more than just a good idea or a wise way to incorporate rest into our lives and make sure we have some balance. For some reason, keeping the Sabbath is so important to God that it makes its way into the Ten Commandments. And maybe it even allows us to love our neighbor and to be the church. Time apparently matters to God because he even goes so far as to command us to give every seventh day back to him. Even in the wilderness, the children of Israel were asked to stop and rest on the seventh day. Remember when manna comes down from heaven for them? 
And the Lord gives them double on the sixth day so they don't have to collect it on the seventh. So even while they wandered through the wilderness, this rhythm of time was important. It would be interesting to read kind of the whole of Scripture with Sabbath in mind because the Sabbath pops up in these places where we don't really expect it. So there's just one more I want to look at. It's in the book of Nehemiah. And in Nehemiah 10, 28 to 31, the people are gathered together and they're going to take a vow. They're going to obey God. And part of their promise is to not buy merchandise or grain on the Sabbath or any holy day. And then a few chapters later, in Nehemiah 13, Nehemiah gets these people in trouble for not observing the Sabbath. And he is a little harsh. Listen to this. What is this wicked thing that you are doing, desecrating the Sabbath day? Didn't your ancestors do the same thing so that our God brought all this calamity on us and our city? And now you are stirring up more wrath against Israel by desecrating the Sabbath? When the evening shadows fell on the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I ordered the doors to be shut and not opened until the Sabbath was over. I even stationed some of my own men at the gates so that no load could be brought in on the Sabbath day. And once or twice, the merchants and sellers of all kinds of goods spent the night outside Jerusalem. But I warned them and said, why did you spend the night by the wall? If you do this again, I will arrest you. And from that time on, they no longer came on the Sabbath. <laughs> and then I, ordered, I commanded the Levites to purify themselves and go and guard the gates in order to keep the Sabbath day holy. Nehemiah is upset about this, and he is taking the people to task. So what do these stories tell us about God? I think God cares about the Sabbath. I think that how we spend our time matters, and that a rhythm of time that involves spending every seventh day differently matters. Sometimes when we think about Sabbath, we get in the headspace that it's all about us. Sort of like Sabbath is one of the key parts of self-care. We need rest. We need time to relax. We need to take it easy from the hustle and busyness of life. And we, we can be tempted to read the Sabbath as a helpful tip. It makes us feel better. And it's true. Keeping the Sabbath is good for us. It's good for us physically and mentally. Even secular psychologists and time management people are going to tell you that a regular rhythm of work and rest is a healthy, productive way to live. But here in the creation story and in the Ten Commandments and in Nehemiah, we read that God created time. It belongs to him and he gifts it to us. And so that we don't forget... God commands the Sabbath for us to take this day, remember it, to keep it holy. And we'll talk more about Sabbath habits, but for now, let's recognize that the Sabbath is part of God's architecture of time. Isn't that a great line? God's architecture of time. That's how Rabbi Abraham Herschel describes it. He says, six days a week, we wrestle with the world, wringing profit from the earth. But on the Sabbath, we especially care for the seed of eternity planted in the soul. The problem of thinking about the Sabbath just as self-care is that we miss the command part. And we miss the understanding of the authority of God. 
Someone said this to this Anglican priest, Tish Harrison Warren, about her faith, something like, oh, I am so glad Christianity works for you. To which she replied with a laugh, oh, it doesn't work for me. Sometimes it seems I work for it. Sometimes our temptation is to follow Jesus and the ways of Jesus as long as it works for us. And it's easy to slip into this way of thinking that puts ourselves above Scripture and we make God in our own image. People who like big words call this utilitarian individualism. Whatever works for me is the right thing. There's no ultimate truth, no transcendent goodness. It's whatever I decide is best for me, and you also are free to choose whatever you want, whatever works best for you. And this philosophy is all around us, within us. But as Christ followers, as people of Jesus, we live under a different authority, and we willingly put ourselves under God's authority. So we don't make God in our own image, but we, are remem- we remember that we are made in his image. And it's this Lent idea that we talked about before, that we're broken, but God can restore us. This is probably one of the most offensive things about the Christian faith, the exclusivity and the authority of God. So instead of the question, what works for me, we need to be asking, what does God say? And so when it comes to rest and busyness and time, we don't ask if the Sabbath works for us. We ask, what does God say about this? And when it comes to the Sabbath, we do this because God commands it. So at its very foundation is an understanding of who God is and who we are. And there are usually positive, delightful outcomes of keeping the Sabbath God is not only wise, but he is kind too. But those benefits aren't the reason we keep the Sabbath. Those are gifts from our almighty and loving God. This is important to remember why we keep the Sabbath, because sometimes the Sabbath isn't going to always work for us, and we're going to talk about that later. But God knows that we're forgetful people. He knows we're good-intentioned, but we're forgetful. He knows that we're made of dust and our feet are definitely made of clay. And so it seems like God, in his great wisdom, builds these things into our rhythms of time so that we don't forget. It seems like there's also this rhythm of morning and evening in the Bible, the idea of starting our day and ending our day with God. We won't look at that today, but I wonder if that's another rhythm of time that God has designed so that we don't forget and so that we're regularly pulled back to center, that he invites us back to himself on a regular basis. So maybe morning and evening, but every seventh day, these are holy times set aside for God. As I've been praying through this sermon and kind of asking God what we as Forest View might need, these these three things um, came to mind about keeping the Sabbath. So the first one is cease from monotony and embrace the rhythm. So it seems like God has set up this rhythm of time, six days of work, one day of rest. The one day of rest only makes sense if you have the six days of work previous. It's like you're cooking supper one night, And half an hour before it's ready, somebody saunters in and makes a sandwich. They're hungry. Not only is this very annoying to the cook, but we know that that sandwich is going to wreck their supper. 
And messing with this rhythm of life that God has set up is kind of like eating a sandwich at 5.30 when someone is preparing you supper. So let's honor this rhythm of time. Let's work till the six days are up, and then let's rest. If you rest all day the day before the Sabbath, the Sabbath doesn't mean much. But there's this rhythm that God has set up of working, resting, fasting, feasting. And this rhythm gives dignity and honor to both of these activities. Feasting is so much more enjoyable when you've fasted. And resting is so much more appreciated when we've worked. Think about the first bite of an Ontario apple in September. And you've avoided grocery store apples for previous months before. It's like, it's amazing. But it's because we've been waiting for it. And there's something about this rhythm of the feast, or in this case, the Sabbath, that makes it so much the sweeter. Which means that we have to take seriously the other six days to work. And that's another sermon. But that's something that God cares about too. Our work, how we do it. Um, But let's structure our week like this. Work for the six days and rest on the seventh. And don't eat the sandwich at 5.30. Secondly, create Sabbath habits. So once we've established this rhythm of time and we've set the seventh day apart... The next step is to create some Sabbath habits. How are we going to remember this day and make it holy, like God says? And we have to remember it's not just a day off, but it's a day set aside for God. And this is a great topic of conversation with your CovCom and your friends, your family. This is when we get to brainstorm and be creative and come up with some things that are particularly helpful and suitable for us at whatever stage um, we're in right now. Sometimes it's good to hear other people's ideas because it helps us imagine ways that we can celebrate the Sabbath. Um, The person beside you probably has good ideas. If you just Google keeping the Sabbath, you'll have a million ideas right before you. But we don't need a million ideas. We probably need one or two, maybe three, at least to start. Um, This is one blog. She's the wife of Josh Gerald, if you know him. He's a singer-songwriter, and his wife blogs at The New Domestic. And she's got a great little article about the Sabbath. Mark found this at our teaching team meeting the other night. But it's, it's a great article about how they celebrate the Sabbath. So what Sabbath habits are we going to have? One of them probably has to involve technology. Are we going to turn off our computers till supper time on Sundays? Are we going to put away our phones? Maybe it means a long walk, not for fitness sake, but for Sabbath sake. Maybe it involves food and people, having people over, hospitality, spending time with our families. Maybe it's a devotional book or some sort of book that you only read on the Sabbath and you kind of savor it week after week. Maybe Sundays are a good time to journal your prayers or to try something different that way. So let's think about that this week. How do Sundays look different from the other six days? Church is a big one. We don't do this every day of the week. And there is something about us getting together as the body of Christ. 
Hebrews 10.25 reminds us, Do not neglect a meeting together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. So what's the big deal about coming to church? Does it matter? I think yes. Remember how we started about us being a forgetful people? I think that's part of it. I think we need to be reminded of God's truth, and I think we need each other. And that verse in Hebrews 10 says, basically, show up. Even when you're tempted to skip, that's not the Sabbath habit we want to nurture. It's not perfect attendance that matters, but it's the reminder that we're part of something bigger. We're part of the body of Christ. And we need to remember that we are not the body of Christ on our own. And the flip side is also true, that the body of Christ is incomplete without us. So our faith isn't just individual, but God is big on community. And even just the picture of us being the body of Christ, all of us needs to be present for that to function well. 1 Corinthians 12 says, Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. So we need everyone present for the body to be complete and to be able to work well. And the Spirit did not just give one person all the gifts of the Spirit. So if we want a well-rounded showing up of the spiritual gifts, it needs to be more than a crowd of one. We need to all show up. And I think it's how we grow spiritually. There is something about being part of the body of Christ as we love each other and serve each other and serve the world. It rubs the edges off us. It exposes our weaknesses. It encourages us to grow into the people God designed us to be. It's going to hurt, but it's going to be good. And even how we love each other is a sign to the world about Jesus. So coming together, worshiping together, this is an important part of our Sabbath. It makes Sunday different. It's different from the other six days. But it's part of this rhythm of working, resting, fasting, feasting, solitude and community, scattered and gathered. There's lots more. Nat and the teaching team are putting together a resource that has lots of ideas about how to create and practice these Sabbath habits. And that's going to be shared over the next few weeks. Honestly, there are so many ways. It involves saying some no's to certain things and saying yes to other things. So let's take some time this week to think about Sabbath habits. Moving beyond just taking it easy and relaxing, that's a day off, but this is the Sabbath. So how do we honor it as a day set aside by God to remind us of him? How, how can we do that? And then let's just start. Let's come up with one or two things and just start. Lastly, it ain't always going to work for us. Sometimes we're going to have to work for it. Warning, some Sabbaths are going to be boring. Or you're going to feel antsy. You're going to enter Sabbath feeling pretty well rested. And you don't need more rest. But remember, that's not really the question. We're the people of God who regularly, every seventh day actually, remember that once we were lost in the wilderness and now we are rescued. 
So my encouragement is, is not to overanalyze each Sabbath, asking yourself, was it working? Do I feel well-rested? Sure, be thoughtful. But we don't overanalyze each time we give a tithe. So in the same way, we want the Sabbaths just to be part of our regular way of spending our time. And not every Sabbath is going to be amazing. Sometimes Sabbath is delight. Sometimes it's discipline. Don't be surprised if it's a little clunky at first. That's normal. Just get started. Let me finish with this final thought. I started thinking about the Sabbath last fall. And as I started thinking about it, I was convicted. It was one of the Ten Commandments that I faithfully and regularly broke. And I was convicted that this is a command that I need to follow. And as I was preparing for this, as I thought and prayed more about it, do you know what? The Sabbath began to feel like an invitation from God himself to rest in him. And I wonder if we can think about the Sabbath that way, as our weekly invitation from God to come to him and rest, to delight this divine invitation. What if we imagined every Sunday morning waking up to the voice of God the Father saying, come, sit with me, rest. You've worked hard and your burdens are heavy. Let me give you rest for your soul. Every Sabbath, every Sunday, this is God's invitation to us. And as we gather around the table this morning, we remember that Jesus is our true Sabbath rest. He says himself in Matthew 11, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my burden, for my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. You, O oh God, you are the one who sees us, and you are the one who cares for us, and even your commands are a gift. And this command of your Sabbath is this wise and kind invitation for us to come to you and to rest. Because you, almighty God and great creator, are humble and gentle at heart, we will find rest for our souls in you. And so we say yes. We will come. We will come to your table this morning to eat and to drink and to remember that you are indeed the one who rescues and fixes and restores. Jesus, you are our true Sabbath. And we are restless till we find our rest in you. Thank you. God, thank you that even your command is a gift, that it is a kind invitation. We love you. And as your people, we pray these things together. Amen. The ushers are going to come forward and distribute communion. The bread and juice are going to be at the tables at the front and at the back. And Jesus says, come. You're invited. Eat and drink.